welcome to episode 6 of season 2 of Delving Into Dance, the final episode of season 2. You're in for a real treat with this episode as I interview the wonderful Meryl Tankard. Meryl's career in dance has been extraordinary, from the Australian ballet to being employed as a soloist for Pina Bausch, to taking Australian dance all over the world, particularly during her time at the Australian Dance Theatre, all the way to choreographing for the Sydney Olympics and making dance and film. It was wonderful talking to Meryl and we covered so many incredible aspects of her life. We started by talking about dance training. As a child, the discipline required from the dance teachers bordered on torture. So I started by asking, why did Meryl have to suffer for the dance? This is the same with Pina, like in the ballet you suffered with the pointers and the discipline, it's like gymnastics. To get anywhere, you had to sort of sacrifice. It had to be a sacrifice of your body. It was like a religion. It's like a religion. It is like a religion. There's um, there's ballet, and there's postmodern, and they're all like religions, and that's why they don't get on because it's fundamentalist. <laughs> so, um, yeah. But you know, it's interesting because we were looking at Degas paintings and. Um, I just thought dance started in a way. Regis, my husband, was saying, well, so could men could perv on the women's bodies and they could see ankles and shoulders and things like And it, it's probably right, and that tradition went on and on and on. Right? So that's where it comes from. And there was this thing of controlling the women. I really do think the produce and everything was a form of forcing them to be controlled in a way by men. So no one ever talks about that. But there's. It's quite true. There's an amazing um, article or like an essay from um, Suzanne Foster about the ballet shoes, the point shoes. It's called the phallic point. And she talks about the the ballet dancer in that kind of in that kind of way. Yeah, lots of Chinese women and same sort of torture, really. Yeah. So did you suffer for your art? Oh yeah, I had really strict teachers. Like I started in Ringwood with Bruce Morrow actually, who later was teaching at the Australian Ballet School. He was a beautiful, beautiful man, lovely, gentle, creative. And then we went to Penang and I had a Chinese teacher who was um, brought up with the Royal Academy of Dancing technique. And strict. I know I, I did lots of scenes when I was with Pina about my... Like, Pina asked us once to... Um, what was it? To smile or be happy or something? And I did this whole scene of one of my teachers in Newcastle. I saw her one morning pushing a little girl, like she must have been 10 her head into a bucket of water and pulling it out and telling her to smile. And she did it again until Virginia, I think, until she smiled like this. And then she had to do her Stepford dance like that. And at that point, I went home and told my mother, and these were classes you had to come in at um, six in the morning and do before school. And I was very good at school, and um, I said, oh, I don't know if I want to do those classes because I don't know what I want to be yet. And she said, 
well, do you want to be a scientist or do you want to be a ballet dancer? I said, I really don't know. <laughs> but she used to tie our, um, oh, another one. That was another. So I left her and I went to another one in Newcastle and she tied our foot to our thigh to do pirouettes and stuck scissors in our, th- our thigh to turn us out, turn the leg out. Wow. And I did that in two feet. I did that solo show two feet and I do a torture bar. And I talk about what I had to go through, but you, you really believe that if you went through all this, you'd be strong. And I used to say, if I can do 132 Grand Batons or jumps without crying, um, when the enemy come, I'll be strong and I'll be able to save the family. So I made up this whole thing. Or if I can hold my hand out here and do the Grand Batons and not drop my elbow, I'll be strong enough to hold my mother when she's falling over a cliff. Wow. And, um, so I used all that stuff later, but I mean, at the time, it was pretty awful. And you couldn't say anything because um, they were the best teachers. They were the best teachers. They were getting the highest marks. They were the ones winning all these efforts. They were the ones... So... Why did you keep going back? What was it that... I don't had know. Caught you? It's really weird, isn't it? It's, um... You just thought that you had to go through that. But it must um, brainwash you in a way. It must brainwash you and then like isn't it weird and then on stage it's supposed to be so beautiful and so graceful yeah and delicate and fragile but I did end up leaving that teacher too and and the Chinese one the Chinese one was strict in that we had to jump over a suitcase or she'd hit hit the floor with a stick she never really physically hurt us but we'd get fined if our little lace our ribbons were hanging out we get fined 20 cents or we get fined if our armor like we had armors made and if our tunic wasn't ironed correctly or if her hair get fined 20 cents so it was that discipline that you have it's like the army it's like being in the army it's exactly like being in the army wow yeah so you felt you were doing this to be the best in your field to be the best has that level of discipline served you? Um, yeah, I think it has made me resilient, probably. But it also, like I always thought when I have a company, I want there to be joy, I want to laugh, and I, want, I believe you can work hard, but you don't have to destroy people's spirit. And I think it's made me um, my own hardest taskmaster, like set high standards for myself. That, um, and I think that's what women suffer from, because the men have so much more confidence. They didn't get that. You see, two men in the class, they were used for everything. Let's get that guy. He's hopeless, but he can hold the women. So these guys grow up, and they're so confident. They become the choreographers and the directors, and all the women are there, busting their guts. And we are setting that high standard for ourselves. We don't think we're ever good enough. Do you think that would change as dance becomes more 50-50? But it hasn't become more 50 Look at all the companies. I think you yeah. should research into that. Look at the Australian Ballet. How many women have they had choreographing? Maybe me? In how many years? Um, 
we look at all the companies in Australia. Who's running them? The men, the women get these little, you know, the men are assist, the women are assisting men. I find in those companies there's a woman next to him working her butt off, doing all the notating, the direction. The, I find that fascinating because the more I've been outside and watching now, I, I'm aware of how much women do for men. We have this fake idea that it's a very female art form. It's only because we see the women busting their gut on the stage. They're not directing it. They're not controlling it. Yeah. In terms of your... This is jumping ahead a bit, but yeah. in terms of your time at ADT, do you think the fact that you were female in that role and successful was a part of yeah. I, their resentment? Yeah. I think that now, like, I, I wasn't really aware of that at the beginning, but I, I'm looking back and I'm going... I watched Hillary through that whole election and went... Oh, gosh, that sounds familiar. That feels familiar. And the fact that the board would listen to a general manager who was obviously out of his depth, who had no experience of running a company, at his suggestion to get rid of me and to bring in other... When we were at the peak, we were at the peak. We had tours, they were getting money everywhere from overseas, touring no deficit. And he decides that he wants to run the company and he wants to change it. They listen to him. Do you know? So nobody ever talked to me. It was just like, this is just that unconscious bias. It's true. There's a lack of respect. And I felt always, you know, these male general managers, um, that they were were more like competing with me, you know, rather than let's do this together and let's make this fabulous and we stand together and we have this great successful company. There was a a sense of, ooh, she can't be directing this, you know, why is she there? That's weird. Yeah. It definitely, definitely was a big factor. Um, but I about, wasn't aware of that. Then. Yeah, I'm talking about female choreographers. Your time at Pina Bausch must have been incredibly um, formative. Yeah, I mean, she was so strong, so strong. Like when I got into the company, it had been going five years, but still, people were booing. We sometimes only had 30 people in the audience. Every premiere, People screamed and yelled and walked out. But the intendant, the general manager of that theatre who brought Pina there, supported her and believed in her and stood by her. That would never happen in Australia. Nobody never would be happened. given five years. Um, Eight years when, of all, yes. Yeah, but Till, it, yeah, it, when you're premiering and people are booing. Oh. I remember um, Bluebeard once saying, do we actually perform because there's only 30 people? And then going back 10 years later and he's the mayor of the town giving Pina a medal for Bluebeard, you know. Wow. But, you know, that was that one general manager, intendant, who supported her, stuck by her. Yeah. Never would have. Right, yeah. And she was really stubborn and she was very vague and could never make decisions and we would maybe postpone the opening night or not have a title for the work on opening night and oh in three months time there might be a title it was always a piece by Pina Bausch because she couldn't give it a name 
changing it, changing it. And I came back to Australia and I was shocked that they they say to me before I started rehearsal, what's the show about? We've got to sell it, we've got to write it up. And I was like, I haven't even gone in the rehearsal room. Or I think it's about this, but it's going to evolve and it's going to change. And So what do Pina see in you? She, um... She just liked me straight away. I was just, it was just by accident. I was there on a break. I got that little scholarship for my first choreography and I took six weeks holiday, an extra two weeks. And <clears throat> I had three days and um, I had bumped into, firstly, Warren, who said, oh, you should go and see Bahina Bausch. And then I'd forgotten the name. Then Shane Carroll, who was in Netherlands, Dan's got me, she said, oh, you've got to go, Pina would love you. And everyone was saying, oh, we're going to get on. But I had signed a contract with the ballet to continue. But I must say, I was yearning to realise that I did not want to be a sort of fairy for the rest of my life. But what else would I do? And I'd seen Jacques Lecoq at, um, in Paris, and I thought, oh, maybe that would be great to go to the mime school. I'm glad I didn't go there. <laughs> and um, so I've got these three days. Shane arranges. She said, look, there's a performance tomorrow night. Why don't you go? I rang up Joanne Endicott, who used to be in the ballet. She, you can stay with her. So I go to this performance. And it's just, it was like a miracle. It really was like, I'd always loved acting and I realised that as much as dance... I thought dance was the ultimate form because you used your whole body. But, I mean, if there'd been an acting school or a design school next to our house, I would have gone to that. It was just a ballet school in my day. It was the only other outdoor, outside activity you could do as a kid. So um, here was this design, these bodies towing mountains, girls speaking English, men with wings, the movement so like I was laughing I was crying, they were talking I was like oh my god and then Joanne said well why don't you come to rehearsal tomorrow because Pina's looking for a dancer and I said but there's no way I can come, I've just signed up the ballet you gave me this scholarship I've got another year with them, I've got to go back in three days so um, anyway I'd say look it's a good experience <clears throat> she makes me join the rehearsal uh, with these actors she was doing Macbeth and these old men were sitting there with their little spectacles I was like I hadn't even seen men like that and they were in the play like the piece and um, Joanne was in it Dominique was in it and um I, I sense that she liked me. I had to improvise, and she said, "Father, Schneller, Schneller, Schneller," and I would just, just obeyed, you know. And um, then we did a class from eight thirty to eleven thirty. Class movements from the right of spring. Uh, Peanut sat on the floor reading the newspaper, and there was one other boy, just the two of us. And um, at eleven thirty. We, um, oh, I had to show her something from the night before. And I'd remembered this little step that these men and women did. It was so cute, and they made this sound. And Peter just kept saying, higher, higher. And I was going. <laughs> and um, then she just said, um, okay, I'll take you. 
had a little birdie and I was like, oh God, I can't come. <laughs> I said, oh, I could come in 12 months, time. And I'm like, my heart's going like this. And the whole idea that she would ever accept me and straight away and later when I worked with the company, that was unheard of because Pina made people hang around for three months or six months or without making, she never made decisions like that. So I go back to the company. I'm armed with all these photographs and I go to Dame Peggy von Braag and I say, oh, Peggy, I really want to be a choreographer, which is not true. Please let me have 12 months leave of absence. You know, maybe I could just go for 12 months. I could learn so much and come back to the ballet. And um, <clears throat> she um, finally, finally, after three months, they finally let me go. This, um, <coughs> this contract, they kept telling me that the contract had been sent and the ballet was saying, oh, you know, she's lying. She's, she's not going to send you the contract. Ridiculous. The day I left, the contract arrived. My mother rang me. She said, it says soloist. It says soloist. The only thing in English, you know, she could read. So she had given me a soloist contract. I joined and then she put me in Café Mula which was just her, Dominic, Malu, and me. Yeah. And no other dancers in the company who'd been there for five years. So I think that caused a bit of... But I didn't know because I was just this naive bunhead. So I did Cafe Miller. Then we did Contact Off. And those two pieces are the two that have really stayed with the company and the right of the screen. But, oh, God, it was amazing. But, boy, she was tough. I mean, that was, that required even more dedication than the ballet. Like, I said, how come I used to do eight shows a week on point and I'm more tired working with Pina because she wanted your whole everything. She wanted everything. You know, yeah. Everything. And there's that perception, I think, now when people look at Pina's work that there was a freedom in that construction and a freedom in her process but it sounds grueling yeah yeah i mean it was great to be able i loved improvising i loved um i used to write a lot of monologues and loved acting and changing characters and being able to manipulate knowing how to get the audience laughing and crying and so i learned all of that and we worked from 10 30 10 to 2 30 at least then came back at 6, at least 10.30, six days a week. Right? And then maybe Sunday, if she called you. So, again, it was this um, total just giving your whole self, like a religion, I guess. I, I can't imagine her way of making work would ever, ever be allowed in the Australian system. Never, never. Like, um... <clears throat> When I have my company, and I mean, I don't even want to work people out hard. I don't know, I just can't. I think you work, you work hard, you give, but you've got to have a life. They've got to have a life, and they've got to experience other things outside. And, and there's got to be joy in it. Challenge people and push them, but to empower them. It's to empower them, actually, not to um, subjugate, not to control them. Like, you look at all my dancers. I think there's like 90% are all choreographers. Now, I only had 
company. I had ADG for six years and I had Canberra for four. Nearly every single, like 80 to 90 percent are choreographic. Look at Pina, 40 years, there's me, there's maybe two or three others. Interesting, I found it interesting because we were in fact creating so much stuff, but it was always under her hand and you never felt confident that you could do it yourself. That's why I knew after I'd, I'd made a film and was a film director in Germany. <coughs> and we actually won um, the Silver Bear in Berlin, the mm. film festival, the best short film. And I think that was a real turning point. I just said, I want to create. Like when I did improvisation to her, I always wanted to be different, but I found she wanted me to be the same. Oh, Meryl's going to scream, Meryl's going to laugh, Meryl's going And I thought, no, I didn't give you that improvisation to twist it and turn it into something negative. I wanted it to be like that. So I just realised that I wanted to control my own. But you continue playing with form, like after leaving the company and coming back to Australia, playing with that context around where work happens, putting in singing, putting oh, in yeah, words, yeah, yeah, put, yeah, you know, yeah, yeah, um, yeah, yeah. to the critique of some people, it's, <laughs> that's not real dance. Well, see, I never called it dance. Like, when we were in Canberra, we had to come up with a title because it was Human Veins, and I said, I'm not calling it Human Veins. So we were going to call it Canberra Dance Theatre, and the day we decided, the next day, Stephanie Burridge decided to call her Canberra Ensemble Canberra Dance Theatre. So we went, oh no, you know what we're going to call it now? And then somebody said, why don't you just call it your name? And I said, that's good because it will not have dance. I'm not saying it's a dance company. I'm just saying it's the Merrill Taggart Company, so whatever that is, it is that. But I remember we, the first piece I did was a war piece because I, we were near that war memorial and I just found out that my father had been in... Oh, it's appropriate today, it's okay. He'd been in the Second World War and he never ever talked about it. He had a whole lot of medals. And I met this um, cousin or whatever, second cousin or something in Brisbane after a show and he said, oh, do you know your father was quite a hero in the war? And I said... No. And he said, oh, you know, when the Germans were coming into Greece, he he was um, uh, in a motor transport, not the aeroplanes, even though he was in the rap. He disabled all the trucks, so he went, he nearly missed the plane. And he said, come on me, come on me. He didn't want the Germans to be able to use the trucks. So things like that. I was like, oh, my God, I don't even know this. I know nothing. And, and how he suffered. And I looked at those little photos and these men had, they carried in their pockets. And it's so tragic that these people had given their lives for us. So I thought, I want to make a piece about that. And um, we started, we, I set it in a, you know, the wooden fence, like a backyard with a real gum tree and chickens in the back. And I started with neighbours, and you know how the neighbours, uh, the racism and the problems that neighbours dividing the line. And 
and it was so funny. We had you hate this name because it smells in the cooking, and you hated that one because they wore that. And I still think that piece we could keep doing it. It's like classic, you know. And then the second act was um, I just used sticks, and those sticks started like harvesting and sowing the seeds. They became bayonets or guns, or so it was playing with that object. How quick and how easy it was to go from living peacefully to killing each other. So um, we did that piece and we had this um, marketing expert. The board had won, before I got there, they had won um, some marketing advice from this expert from Sydney Dance Company. And we wanted a photo, we wanted to use as a poster image a little boy with a gas mask, just sitting there, standing in the street from the First World War. And he was just horrified. He said, but dance is about sex and fashion. Just so, I've just told you all about this piece. Like, how could you make a statement like that? So that's the battle I had. Like, absolutely not understanding that dance could tell other stories besides curving on people's bodies. And there was that weird uh, concept that that's why people go to dance, is just to look at their bums and their legs. And so, Do you think that mentality still exists now? Oh, absolutely. 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 Yeah. Because they don't know any other, like, especially in Sydney, I don't think they've been exposed to much um, well, dance theatre or dance that actually has something to do with our lives. So then, and then it was, then I had to, the next year, <coughs> audition, and the men were hopeless. I said, why am I, I've only got five positions. Why am I struggling to put two or three men in there? Forget it, I'm just taking who's the best. Whoever auditions, they're the best, take them. So it was all women. So from then on, we just had women. And, um, and that was so good for me because I just said, oh, great, I'm getting away from Pina, the gender narrative. That it gives me a sort of freedom to um, not always be involved in that heterosexual relationship. Which but, features a lot in yeah, Pina's work. Yeah, 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 yeah. But, um, and then I missed Europe. I, I had that, oh... But Canberra reminded me of Europe because you had the four seasons. So I just started really getting into Hungarian music or Eastern European music somehow. Just it's so fantastic. So um, it's got so much pain in it. You know the violins. So I feel like that was a strong force. Because you missed Australia as well, and that's oh, why you came true. home. I know, I know, and I'm like, where do I belong? What was it that you were longing for when... The blue sky, the blue sky. Truly missed the blue sky. And we had done the Adelaide Festival and, uh, in 82, and everyone was saying, come back home, come back home. I missed my mother, I missed... Um, yeah, I did. I, with Pina, I was very bright. I had red lips, I had red nails. It was the 70s, or pink, and she was just like, but later she used that. This is what's so funny because she used, she made pieces where we all had to have red lips to go. We all had to have red nails. And 
I had a whole collection of vintage 40s clothes that when you're in the ballet, you used to go to parties, you used to wear those, or you'd get on the aeroplane and you dressed up. And I'd wear my 40s Joan Coffin suit on the aeroplane with a hat. And I got to Pina, and I go to the first party, and I'm in this fabulous cocktail dress, and they just looked at me like I was a freak. But then... She used Especially dresses. when you were the blowing, <laughs> the but, solo was coming. But she used those dresses. Like that became, in the end, Rolf, who was her partner and designer. He um, he let me go to the markets and buy clothes for the shows. So I loved doing that. Go to these big flea markets and and I would always choose the dresses would come down from the fundas, these old that belonged in the theatre and. I'd always choose the weirdest thing, and everyone would think I was mad, and then we're really, well, they'd all get jealous. <laughs> but but I, I, that's really important for me, too, the design and the lighting and the total thing. And also Regis, so that was a big, um, a big force, too, meeting Regis, who was a photographer, and I, he'd been projecting, he'd been doing portraits with projections on it. And I said, let's do that. Why aren't you doing that on stage? Why can't we do that, you know, make you one of the performers too? So um, we started to work with projectors and no other light source. And that was magical. Working in that kind of company structure and then working as an independent artist yeah. and how the two are so very different in many yeah, respects yeah yeah in Canberra it was great because um, I could do basically what I wanted but I mean still when I go back and I think about the board you know, we had a fantastic general manager they didn't like her they got rid of her and I loved her we got on we had the most fabulous time they decided and I don't even think I ever found another manager like that and I think, God, you know, I should have been stronger. I should have. But you're very. I was very unaware of boards, and nobody taught us. I thought you went into a board meeting, and you. I always did my reports. I'm really good, you know, diligent. Um, and I thought you actually said what was wrong. Oh, we need a marketing structure. We need this. But they were often offended by that. And I didn't know you're supposed to ring up the other board members before the meeting and get everybody on your side. Or I, have, I didn't have time to do that, but I didn't know that's what you did. It's a different way of thinking, that mm. level of politics mm. that is mm. <laughs> very and different to making it yeah. a work in a studio. Oh, and you're going in there and you've got all the dancers with you and everything's going well and you're successful and people are inviting you everywhere and you just think the board is with you. And the general manager is with you, but... What, um, what would you do differently if you were working with a board again? I'd make sure I had rich people around me. Wealthy, wealthy, powerful people by your side. Because that's what you need, yeah. Because yeah. that's and what it comes down to, doesn't the, it? It's yeah, that money play. Yeah, yeah. And it's very hard when you... Came, like, I came from Europe. I was Australian, but I was always an outsider. So I just tried to do everything, be good, like good girls are always trying to be good. And I thought that that would be seen and acknowledged, but it's not about that. Did you change your approach to your style 
terms of um, not in terms of choreography, but the way you worked, I guess, politically within the industry. No, I can't be bothered. Just don't have time to do that. And instead of you know getting on board and being proud and coming with us, you know, maybe come to New York. We were the first uh, company in BAM. We were the first Australians to perform there, and the success we had was amazing. But I'm interested in 2010 you went back and studied studying film school yeah Yeah. what was it like to go back to school um it was good I really liked um you know being a student I love being a student I I was surprised at the were they really trying to find what's inside those young kids and bring that out or were they following a formula and I felt very much like you follow this formula it will be successful and I almost felt like I wanted to give a class on how to find what you really want to say and and I felt a bit sad that kids that young were had not experienced that what would be your if you were to run the class what would have been the I guess lesson or teaching the what? The, like, what would you want to teach? Well, I just want to find out what they have to say. And the way you work with the dancers, I guess. What's really in you and what do you want to say? And it's original. It has to be original. I'm always trying. I just hate this copying thing. So every time I did a piece, I, I never wanted to copy anybody. I want it to come from me. Or, I just don't... I mean, sure, you get inspired, but... There is a point when it's just a rip-off. And, I mean, that's the way the world is now because all these kids... I just gave a class at that um, Redham High School and the dancers, they were really good. They were in year 11 and 12 and um, they were saying, how do you get inspired? And I said, oh, my God, you can get inspired by anything, get inspired by this big space and us two sitting here and I tried to show them how just on the way home on the bus you could take one little thing and and I want to do more with them to show them that just it's right next to you that inspiration. Is it because people are looking for the exceptional? They're looking for yeah, stuff. maybe, maybe, because sometimes it's right there. Yeah, and I think that's what Pina, you know, we, we do these improvisations and someone would try really, really hard, but the best part of it was the way they walked there and the way they walked back. That, that was the, the fear, the anxiety, the, the stress they had to get to that this was more interesting than this thing they like some people came and they stripped off all their clothes and they did oh and we were just going oh no it's like it's not about freedom it's not about Pina's not interested in you being which is opening up like she's actually interested in what you're afraid of what your anxiety is your your fear like not um so we knew we'd just go, oh, they won't get the job <laughs> off the list. Please. And I'd say, don't take your clothes off, whatever. If you do an improvisation, don't feel it. You have to pretend that you're not scared. and you're. Yeah, there's something like, um, I was talking to somebody recently, the, sit, the sitting body, and, and a live sitting body on stage mm. can read... You can read so much into yeah. it, or anybody yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. sitting or in any yeah. space. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. And often 
we ignore those yeah. cues and those exactly. nuances exactly. in the everyday. Exactly, exactly. That can be extraordinary. Yeah, 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 yeah. exactly. And um, there was like one scene in 1980 when um, oh, we've been going, you know, in the theatre, we'd, we'd spent a lot of time in the theatre going through the show, and um, that was the other thing, she had the space to work in. And we were just all sitting like that, and she left that scene in. And I think it's one of the most beautiful scenes in the piece. Everybody, she just went, oh, that's great. We'll do that again. What happens when a company like Penis Company becomes increasingly repertoire company now? Well, Penis gone, and it's sad, but that spirit is gone too. And... Maybe they can do pieces like The Rite of Spring because that was movement and it was very structured and to count. But, like, she was there every day, every minute. She was at every performance. She gave us notes. So she was controlling the whole thing all the time. It wasn't that she gave that responsibility. She did not hand it on to anyone. She did not give permission for anyone to have that power. So that's been a big problem, I think, in the company, that there's really no one, no one person. I heard um, one of the dancers talk um, when they were over uh, Fenelkin in Adelaide Festival, and he said there's times where he is watching the newer dancers do the work and thinking, oh, Pina would hate that. I know. But also in his head going, well, she's not here and maybe she would have changed yeah. and maybe she would now like that. Or, you yeah, know, it's I this know. really... I know, but it's all related to what Pina would have been. So you've got this old guard saying Pina would like that. Pina, but times move on and we have to change and yeah. they bring something else to it and... It's a shame that she didn't give, she didn't pass on that authority to someone to allow them to make those decisions. But she found it very hard to make those decisions herself. I remember when I got there, like she spoke German then most of the time and there was this word, word that she kept saying and I said, God, that word's important because she says it all the time, vielleicht, vielleicht, what is vielleicht, vielleicht this, vielleicht that, maybe. So everything was, because she didn't want to be that clear because she liked us going into a Space, the unknown, and how would you interpret it? And how would, she didn't want to make it that clear. She never told us what the piece was about, or and it's so true, it's so true. Like when you're studying film, you never tell the actor be sad, be angry. You have to find a way to. You never really tell them how you want it, you know, you have to play a sort of game to allow them to find it and that's exactly what she did. Are you more decisive though when you're asking stuff of people? Oh, more than Pina, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. But I would love to indulge, I would love, but I would not get away with it. (laughs) Um, I'd love to talk about um, Michelle's story and that what is such an intimate portrait of somebody yeah. who you're obviously um, incredibly close to 
and watch her deal with MS. Mm. What was it like to tell that story? Um, She said it was really cathartic and she really, um, as hard as it was, she, she was just really there to do anything really and um, she yeah she felt quite empowered after and she it was really good for her to have been able to express all that and show all that because that's what happened people just fade away like she said she had to hide in the toilet she felt like she just didn't want to be there anymore. but I, were, I have a story for a feature film that I had for a long time and it was about a dancer who was not able to dance anymore and what would she do to... So again, I went, Michelle's right in front of me. I'm not going to get that money for the feature film. Michelle is here. She's actually going through a similar story. Why don't I talk about Michelle? And, why don't I try and get to know more about what that is and how, what she's going through and, and the strength she had. Like, I'm always interested in those fragile-looking women, you know, the sensitive women who have this amazing force. And she's incredible. I mean, the power she has behind this little delicate little thing is beauty. Mm. Amazing how strong she's been and resilient. But again, it's dance and it's having that creativity that's given her that power. And that's why I'm saying art is really important in our society because it can give people, can empower people. And this is if the only the government would understand that. Like I'm doing another, sort of working on a film with a woman who has schizophrenia who writes poetry about madness. And without that, if she had not found that creative outlet, she'd be gone, she'd be in her home. So it's so important. In regards to your feature film, is it kind of, is a part of that your fear of yourself losing that capacity to move in the same way or? Um, not to move so much, but to create, I guess, however that is. I don't think I've ever had that, oh, I've got to dance, dance. I wouldn't mind if I painted or I wouldn't mind if I designed or I wouldn't mind if I acted or I wouldn't mind. But as long as I can express something, does yeah. it really have to be movement? There's something about Michelle's story about that ability to, I guess, uh, for dance and for movement to transcend abilities. Yeah, yeah. There's, I think, a perception that to dance you have to be young yes, and yeah, able-bodied yeah, yeah, and yeah. even coordinated and all these kind of things. And but everything is dance. You yeah. Know? Like, yeah. And that movement yeah. itself is such an innate yes, expression. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, People say to me, oh, are you still dancing? And I go, well, what's, what is dancing? You know, what does dancing mean? I go in the studio and put music. Maybe I dance when I play with my niece or I... What does it... What what is dancing for you then? Well, everything. I mean, sort of dancing every day, aren't we? What are you exploring at the moment in your work? I've just finished shooting a little bit of um, 
and mad. We got a little bit of money to do this, whether it's a film, I'm not sure, or it's going to be a live show using these poems as songs. So Elena Katzatrunen has turned Sandy Jeff's poetry into songs, and I worked with this beautiful dancer from, um, she's now at ADT, and um, I just had this one dancer in these shots, and she just looks amazing. Mm. But she also has Tourette's syndrome, the dancer, and she said dancing controls her illness. So, like, I'm finding more and more and more people that are using dance or music or writing to deal with their illness. It's actually curing, not curing them, but allowing them to control it. And it's so important. Like a framework. Yeah. Well, she said her brain, you know, she uses another side of her brain when she sings or she moves. Oh, wow. So that stops the spasms. So having her was incredibly powerful. Yeah. And then I'm writing this um, feature film, which is quite, quite hard writing the story on your own. I find that um, very lonely, that whole film world it's very um, on your own yeah at the beginning so why the move into film should have done that years ago I feel like you know that's what I should have done really no, I didn't have that confidence or something and also you're in that you're doing well you're going on that journey you've got to either jump off and make her take another train it's a bit hard when it's going really fast <laughs> well good luck with that hmm Thank you. Like everyone's writing a feature film, it's like you know. <laughs> it's it's more good. interesting than a memoir, though. Oh yeah. Because <laughs> yeah. I feel like you either yeah. you do something creative or you write the memoir. Yeah. Well, thank you so much. Thank you. It's been a pleasure. <laughs> if Meryl was to write a memoir, I'm sure it would be fascinating. What an incredible legacy! There are a list of episode notes and links to Meryl's work at delvingintodance.com. You can also listen to previous episodes from Season 1 and 2 with Lucy Guerin, Anouk Van Dyke, Raphael Bonicella, Stephanie Lake, Daniel Jaber, Noel Tovey, Sue Healy, Gideon Obazanic, Deborah Jowett, and a whole lot more. While this is the end of Season 2, Season 3 will be up very soon, with the first few episodes looking at different experiences from the perspective of dancers, covering disability, sexuality, and locality stay tuned but in the meantime subscribe on itunes and leave a review follow on twitter at delving dance follow on facebook just search delving into dance and if you're loving the episodes or you want to hear from certain people please get in touch i love receiving your comments and your feedback there's a contact page at delvingintodance.com until next time take care